Hey guys, welcome back to another episode. This week we're going to be talking about what a typical first time therapy session would look like. Andrew, you want to explain? Of course. So this all starts before you even have your first session. This happens usually when you call the agency to book your session. The receptionist or the therapist themselves will have you fill out an intake form. And this could happen either through PDF where you would fill it out on your own or over the phone. Our agency does it over the phone, but I've seen other agencies do it by sending a fill out PDF uh, through email to the client. So the purpose of this intake is so that the therapist can gather relevant information about your treatment and your goals and make a treatment plan that caters towards your needs. There are six things that are important to include on every single intake that I want to touch up on. And these are six things that I like to include on my intakes as well. So number one is a presenting problem. Okay. The presenting problem is very simple. It's the reason for referrals, the reason why you're seeking therapy. It's what brings you here. You know, that question, right? The therapist would ask you to define the specific symptoms that you're experiencing. They will want to know the onset, course, frequency, and duration of those symptoms. They would also ask you, right, how does your current state compare to your prior level of prior level of functioning whenever you aren't experiencing your symptoms? What level of impairment do these symptoms create? They would want to ask you these symptoms to gauge kind of how severe your symptoms are, mm-hmm. right? Number two, they would ask you about your medical history and your medication or substance use. So even though therapists don't work with medication, they would ask you about your current health status, any notable m- medical conditions, and any current medications that you're taking. And they would also ask you about your current history of substance and alcohol use, The reason why they would ask you about all these types of things is because they want to see if any medical concerns or medication administration is a possible contributor to the symptoms that you're experiencing. They want to rule out the possibility that your symptoms could stem from substance use or side effects from medication. Are therapists allowed to excuse their patients from like school or work or like doing any other activities? I mean, usually if you have to be excused from school or work as a result of a you know mental health condition usually it's the mental health condition has gone to the point where you may need to seek further help like maybe hospitalization right but let's say like a patient is experiencing like severe anxiety or depression would um like a therapist recommend them to just stay home and relax and take a day off or to go out and continue with their daily routine are you asking if they would give you like one of those slips that the doctor's office would give you that excuses them from work that day Mm -hmm. i don't think therapists do that um but they might make the recommendation to the patient themselves to call in sick the next day or take a mental health Mm -hmm. day but i have not heard of any therapists i don't even know if they're allowed to to be honest that write those slips where they excuse someone from work or school the next day so really they might recommend it to the client but i think it's up to the client to take that next step So number three, right, another very important thing that we want to include on the intake is therapists asking you about your ethnic, culture, and religious identity. Mm -hmm. Now, you might be wondering why this is so important. Allow me to explain, right? They ask this because different cultures have different ways of describing their problems, and there are possible cultural factors that could affect your past and your present coping skills and help-seeking. What I mean by this is that certain cultures may be more taboo about therapy compared to others. That could affect how the treatment goes. 
Maybe there's an individual who uses their spiritual practices as a coping skill. Maybe there are some symptoms that are normal in some cultures or some emotions that are very taboo in others. There could be some cultural or religious differences between the client and the therapist. So the therapist wants to become aware of this so they don't overstep on any boundaries. These are all things that the therapist will try to figure out just by asking the clientele about their cultural identity, about their religious identity, so that they improve the therapeutic alliance between the two. Right, yeah, that makes sense. Is it, like, have you personally ever heard, like, a typical first-time patient talking about, like, their ethical? Like, is this something, like, you see as a first-time thing, bringing up the whole ethical and cultural backgrounds? I mean, I usually, I like to make sure that I ask them, right, about like, okay, is this behavior common in your culture? Because for all I know, it might be, you know, some things that are uncommon in our culture could be common in another person's culture. So I want to make sure that I ask that. And then do do the um, patients find it like easy or hard to get close to close to you guys? Like how long does it take for a patient to become comfortable and close to sharing everything with you guys? I mean, that all depends on the patient as well. You know, some patients come into a therapy session scared. They don't know what to expect. It's their first time seeking therapy. You know, it's going to take them a lot longer to open up about their struggles due to fear, due to embarrassment, due to shame. So you really want to make sure that you create a welcoming and a comfortable and a really warm environment Mm -hmm. so that they're really comfortable opening up to you. You know, what I found to help, at least with my clientele, is start by, you know, start building rapport with them about other things not related to therapy, you know. So if you have any mutual interests, if you have like any any hobbies that you and, and the clientele share, maybe start talking about those a little bit to really open the gateway into conversations yeah. about mental health, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think too, um, if like, I don't know, my, what I would see as like me going to therapy for the first time, I feel like, um, having more instead of talking about like symptoms and what the person is going to therapy for having more genuine conversation with the therapist first to get to know the therapist too and to get the therapist know you would help you connect easier and faster with your therapist i agree i agree 100 percent. i mean the only downside with that is that people are paying for those therapy sessions so they want to make sure that they at least get something mental health related out of the session but i completely agree you know talking about those other aspects of life can definitely improve the rapport that you have with a therapist so the fourth point that i wanted to bring up that we try to include in all of our intakes forms is what's called a mental status exam right so this is when the therapist conducts a behavioral observation or they would write down what they noticed about this client during an interview right or during the intake interview i should say now, this is usually only applicable if done in person because you need to observe things with your own eyes, right? But the therapist would also be advised to avoid any interpretations while they're doing the step. This could give you an indication of how receptive the client may be to your treatment. What I mean by this is simple, dress to impress. If they're dressed well and if they look presentable, it shows that they care about the therapy and they're more likely to be receptive. How you present yourself goes a long way. This could also give insight to the therapist if the client is experiencing any hallucinations, delusions, or other psychotic symptoms, for these symptoms will be present during a mental status exam. So number five, mm-hmm. right? The fifth thing that we include on our intake form 
is usually a diagnosis. Let me dive into that a little bit because there's some caveats. So a diagnosis may or may not be made depending on the symptoms that were present during the intake. Therapists do like to make a diagnosis and it would benefit the patient if they do because insurance is only going to cover you for therapy if you have a diagnosis. But diagnoses could sometimes require more than one meeting to make and you may not see a diagnosis appear on an intake initially. Mm-hmm. You know, therapists can just diagnose someone who doesn't meet the criteria for mental health disorder, right? Yeah. So those symptoms have to be present and they have to be present in the specific criteria that's required in order to be diagnosed. Right. They can't just throw around diagnoses because it's going to benefit the patient by getting uh, reimbursed through insurance. But how does a therapist know right away just by having like one conversation with the person what their mental disorder is like why do therapists diagnose the person right away why can't they get to know the person a little bit more to make sure the diagnosis that they're giving them is actually accurate and true it's not done right away it takes a series of questions and interviewing to really find out if the person has a diagnosis or not this is not done right away and all of this happens the first time you meet a a person no no this could take you know multiple sessions if it has to you know but the therapist they want to make sure that the individual actually has a diagnosis before they diagnose them due to liability reasons Mm -hmm. you know you can get sued if you misdiagnose someone Mm -hmm. with a mental health uh, condition especially you know something like autism for example right okay so finally the last point that i wanted to include on the intake form is treatment recommendations, right? This is done so that the client and the therapist have a general idea of topics that could be discussed during the session. Now, we all know therapy is not scripted by any means, but it's important as a therapist to come prepared with an idea on how to plan the session. Just in case the client doesn't have anything to talk about, there's still things that you can share with the client that would benefit the presenting problem that they're talking to you about. So this entire intake process is rather quick, usually lasting only 15 minutes. Some therapists like to get it done before the first session, but some therapists like to do it during the first session. I prefer to get it done beforehand so that I have time to prepare and I send the client home that day feeling like they got something out of the session. But every therapist has their own way of going about doing things. So with the intake concluded and in the patient files, now comes the actual therapy session. You might be feeling nervous if it's your first time. Or you might be feeling ready and motivated. It's a huge variety, right? It's different from person to person and how you feel is completely valid. Therapists may start your first session by bringing up your intake and asking you to elaborate a little further on some points that you made. They might ask you questions about your past, about your familial history, so they can gather information on what may have potentially been exposed that could influence your current perception of the world. Mm -hmm. So they may gather information of what you've been exposed to that can influence your perception of the world. Sorry if I fumbled that up a little bit earlier. But let's say for a mental disorder like autism, aren't people born with autism? I mean, the symptoms become present around age two or three, sometimes a little bit sooner, sometimes a little bit older. That's going to be our next episode. It's a little foreshadowing. Mm -hmm. But yeah, you know, usually the symptoms for autism become present around age two or three. Okay, so if you guys were to diagnose someone with autism... Um, that diagnosis process does not take one session. That's, that's something that takes multiple sessions because there's an entire, there's an entire like, question year that is asked in order to determine if an individual meets 
diagnostic criteria for autism. That's not something that's going to be very easy. Like, oh, you know, willy nilly, you can just diagnose someone. No, like that's a very intense and extensive process. So don't expect too much clinical intervention from your therapist on your first visit for you're still trying to build that rapport with them. But they will ask you a lot of questions about your presenting problem. Things like what you have tried before that may have worked or didn't work. They might also ask you what you would tell a friend who's going through something similar to see if you can come up with solutions by looking at things from a different perspective. They might offer a different perspective themselves on the current problem. This is what we refer to as a person-centered approach, which is basically, in layman's terms, a therapeutic intervention designed specifically for that person. And it's not necessarily universal, if that makes sense. Now, how much are like typical therapy sessions worth and like how long are typical therapy sessions all of that depends on the experience the credentials and the overall skill of the therapist Mm -hmm. and usually if it's a private practice or if it's an agency Mm -hmm. rates might be higher in an agency just because it's a corporation and they may have you know office utilities to pay you know rent to pay you know all kinds of different fees to pay so they might increase the rates for certain uh, clients and for certain types of therapies if it's a corporation but if it's a private practice it might be a little bit less expensive because they don't have to pay like different salaries to different therapists it's it's for profit and they're usually only um, paying themselves or a very select few individuals if that um but i've seen you know typical sessions range anywhere between like hundred dollars an hour to 250 dollars an hour it really depends on the area the supply like the supply and demand in the area the overall skills and credentials of the therapist so really like do your own research and find out what you're looking for you know like there's therapists that special that specialize in certain aspects of therapy you know certain disorders and certain types of therapies so you want to do your research and find a therapist that works for you you know one therapist may have you know really strong skills in depression for example Mm -hmm. And one therapist may be very strong in anxiety. Mm-hmm. So therapists have their specialties and their strong suits. And you want to find a therapist that has a strong suit of something that you're trying to seek right. uh, help and treatment for. Right. You know, so definitely, you know, there's a website. I think it's called um, Psychology Today. Mm-hmm. A lot of therapists make an account on that website. Mm-hmm. So if you're ever looking for a therapist, that's a great way to start. Yeah. They have like bios of their like experience and their specialties okay. and all of that, which is really cool. That's really good. So with all that out of the way, thank you so much for listening. You know, stay tuned. We're trying to upload more consistently now on. Our next episode is going to be on autism. Mm -hmm. Thank you all so much for your wonderful support. Please be sure to like and share, and we'll see you all next time. Bye, guys. Thank you.